Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So here Paul is addressing an important issue that, that the church was experiencing. So we talked about earlier how this church in Thessalonica was going through a, a lot of persecution. And a lot of, I don't, I, want, I don't know a lot, but I'm sure that some of these Christians were killed. And so, so the church was, was experiencing death within their body. And so they, they were wrestling with this idea of death. And so Paul addresses it here. And I'm sure that, that everyone in, in this room has experienced loss or has experienced the, the death of a loved one in some way. Um, some, of us, some of us have been fortunate enough to have death not be so close, but I know that there are those in this room that have experienced the death of parents, uh, maybe some of the death of siblings, and, and even the death of best friends. And so Paul is telling us that that we do not grieve as others who do not have hope. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to spend some time talking about this idea of grief and talking about this idea of grieving. The definition of grief is keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss, sharp sorrow, painful regret. So why do people grieve? Grief is a response to the love and care that you have for someone. And you guys know this, but, but I'm just going to kind of talk this out a little bit. So there are different levels of grief that we experience with people that we lose depending on the type of relationship that we have with them. And when we grieve, we're not grieving necessarily for that person, especially if, if we know that they're a believer in Christ. What, what we're really grieving is we're grieving for ourselves and, and we're grieving for the, the loved ones that are left behind in, on this earth. We're grieving that, that we don't get to spend time with that person anymore. We're grieving that we don't get to have any more conversations with that person. We're grieving for that husband or for that wife that has to go through the rest of their life without their person. We're grieving the future with that person. And what I mean by that is, for, for a lot of you guys, you guys were here when, when me and my wife kind of shared our story. And one of the things that we went through was, um, so we dealt with infertility. My wife got pregnant and we uh, had a miscarriage with our first baby. And so part of that grieving for us was, was grieving the future that, that we saw with that baby. And so, so that, that's absolutely a part of grief as well. Grieving the, the future that you saw with that person, that's, that's no longer going to happen. And here are some symptoms um, that come with grieving the loss of a loved one. So trouble carrying out normal routines, obviously. Isolation from people and social events. Depression and deep sadness. Guilt and shame. And feeling life isn't worth living anymore. 
And I'm sure that many of you have heard of the, the five stages of grief. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. This is actually based off of a book written by, her name is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she wrote this book called On Death and Dying. And what she did was she, she went through this process of, of interviewing and, and just witnessing people that had been diagnosed with terminal illnesses in hospitals. And so she just sat down and she had conversations with, the, with these people and she just kind of watched um, how people would respond to, to being told that, that they're diagnosed with a terminal illness. And she, she came up with and she saw that these five stages generally happen with people that, that are going through grieving um, the loss of life. And one quote from psycholo uh, Psychology Today says, while some people do experiences do experience the stages and eventually reach acceptance after a loss, grief is now being understood as highly individualized and unpredictable. It is highly individualized and unpredictable. And there's something that's really cool about that that we're going to talk about in Jesus in a minute. But understanding that there's no specific time frame or process that you need to go through in order to get through grief is important. It's not a step-by-step -step process. So there's no... There, there's no like process that you want to push a person through. There's, no, there's not a process that you yourself try to force yourself to go through in order to get through grieving and to get to that final stage of acceptance. Grief is it's, it's individualized. So I think that's something that's important for us to understand and something that's even more important that I think for us to understand is that grief is not a sin. Grief is not a sin. What this is not saying is that you are not supposed to grieve because you are a Christian. I'm sure that you guys have, have heard before that you know they're in a better place, so be happy for them instead of sad. That, that is not, well, I can, that could potentially be beneficial for some people. That is not something that's beneficial for everyone. Another quote from Psychology Today says, attempts to suppress or deny grief are just as likely to prolong the process while also demanding additional emotional effort. So when you, when you like take that idea and, and you try to push that on somebody and you really try to like fight through that grief and be like, no, I don't, I don't need to grieve this because, because the Bible says, right? The, the Bible says that they're in a better place, so I need to be happy instead of sad. When you're doing that, when you're suppressing the grief, you're, you're prolonging the process the psychological process that it takes for you to get through that grief. And not only are you prolonging that process, but you're using more and more energy, mental energy, emotional energy uh, on top of that, which is, not, which is not healthy whatsoever. Grieving is okay. Grieving is our natural response to losing someone that we love. And what better example to give than Jesus himself? So if you guys want to turn with me, to John chapter 11, we're going we're gonna to look at how, how Jesus addresses grief. So we're going to be in verses 21 through 36. Okay, just so that we have some context on, on what's happening. So Jesus had um, these, these friends while, while he was living on this earth, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings. And so Lazarus was sick, and Mary and Martha send to Jesus, because Jesus is in a completely different city, 
completely different town, and they send to Jesus, send him a message saying that Lazarus is sick. So they're asking Jesus to come to their town and to heal Lazarus, but Jesus doesn't. He stays in that town for two more days, and then he comes to, to the town where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are living, and this is what happens in, in verse 21. So Martha, okay, so, so Jesus gets to the town, and Martha comes and she meets him. So in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Which is cool because we're going to talk about that a little bit in this passage. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she, would go, that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. So Jesus himself wept. Jesus grieved and he mourned the loss of his friend. Jesus felt the pain that Mary and Martha felt, and he walked through that pain with them. He walked through that grieving process with them. And we can pull two practical applications from, from this passage. One, what we just talked about. Grieving is okay. I would even go as far to say that grieving is, is agreeing that there is something wrong with death. And the second thing is how we should respond to someone who is grieving. So Jesus does something very interesting in this passage. He, he responds to the two women differently. He is extremely personal in his response. He knows them. He understands their personalities. And he understands how they think and how they process things. Some people respond well to intellectual truth statements like Martha did. But some people just need you to be there with them and cry with them and mourn with them like Mary. So if you have a friend that is grieving, I highly encourage you, just pray, 
Pray for discernment because there's no, just like there's no exact process in how grieving works, there's, there's no specific way that you are supposed to console someone that is grieving. People are individuals. People process things differently. People go through things differently. So, so based on, on your knowledge of your friend and your love for your friend, respond to them in the way that, that you really believe would be most beneficial for that friend. Maybe it's giving them a, a true statement and encouraging them with this passage. Maybe it's not saying anything, and it's just being with that person and crying with that person and grieving with that person. But while we do grieve as Christians, we do not grieve as those without hope. Why? Because we are going to see them again. And this time, we won't be separated by the sting of death. Verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And just stop there. This is, this is how we have access to eternity with Christ. Simply believing that Jesus died and rose again for our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And on top of that, you can read the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. We're not going to go through that because that would take forever. But I encourage you, read, read the book, uh, read the chapter of Hebrews 11. Um, that, that's very applicable for a lot of the things that we talk about tonight. But, but it's, it's a long book, so... It's the hall of faith, so I encourage you to read that. But verse 14 again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we're going to talk a little bit about prophetic events that are going to take place that Paul talks about in, in these verses. And, and talking about prophecy, I, I want to talk about why why we can trust prophecy. And prophecy meaning the prediction of future events. Why we can trust the prophecy in this book. There are approximately 2,500 2,500 prophetic statements in this book. And of those, about 2,000 of those have already come to pass perfectly and exactly how this book said they would. And you can go through and read all kinds of articles about this. That, that get more into detail about these prophecies. And they even talk about, which blows my mind, they even talk about the likelihood of these prophecies coming true. And I have no idea how, these, how they come up with these numbers. But, uh, but I don't know if there's like some kind of app or program or something that they use. But the majority of these prophecies, so they range anywhere from 1 in, in uh, 10 to the 5th power to 10 to the 18th power. Which is crazy. Again, I don't know how they come up with that, but it sounds wild. Anyways, getting, <laughs> getting back to what we're talking about. Uh, we'll just hit on a couple of these prophecies that have come to pass that are huge, that, that I think is so incredible. And I think this is, why, this is such a huge reason why we can trust the prophecies in this book. 
And the first is Isaiah 53. So if you go back, if you know Isaiah 53, if you go and you read Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 was written in 740 to 700 B.C. So 740 to 700 years before Christ, the book of Isaiah was written. And I understand where, where you're going with this, where your first thought is. It's like, J.D., you're, you're using the same book to say that there's a prophecy that the book was fulfilled in, in the book. I don't even know if that statement made sense, but you know what I'm saying. You understand what I'm communicating. Listen to what I say. Listen to what I mean, not to what I say, right? Um, but caveat to that, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947 and date back to being written as early as 200 B.C. 200 years before Christ, these scrolls were written. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are, it's, it's kind of crazy. I was, reading about, I was reading about how they were discovered. It was actually these two, ta- two teenagers, they were shepherds, and they were just hanging out, throwing rocks, you know, like teenager, teenage boys do. And they're like, oh, dude, look, there's a cave. Let's throw rocks. And so they're throwing rocks. One of them makes it in the cave, and they hear a shattering sound. What is that? So they go into the cave and they find these clay jars that, and they broke one of them, but these clay jars were holding all of these scrolls and these manuscripts, which is insane. And in part of those scrolls and manuscripts, you find the book of Isaiah and you find this chapter, Isaiah 53. And Jesus fulfills this, this chapter, this prophecy to the T. I encourage you guys to go and read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 so explicitly talks about Jesus as the Messiah that, that Jews take this, this chapter out of their Bible because you can't argue the fact that that's Jesus. You can't argue the fact that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy as the Messiah. It, it blows my mind. But, um, but anyways, so... So that's just one example of a prophecy that was fulfilled. And the other one is the rebirth of Jerusalem that was predicted in Jeremiah 31. And for the first time in history, a country and a people came together. And in 1948, Israel was rebirthed as a nation, which is incredible. At that time, there were less than 900,000 Jews living in Israel. Now there are more than 9 million Jews in Israel and it holds about half the Jewish, Jewish population in the world. That is ridiculous. That is, that is incredible. And so why can we try? And there's many, there's many more of these, but, but just for the sake of time, we can trust the prophecies of the Bible that have not yet come to pass because of the Bible's track record. Because all of the prophecies that have been foretold have come to pass exactly the way that the Bible said they would. Now I want us to read all of these verses together just so that we under the context just so that we understand the context of what Paul is talking about. So again, this is prophecy. This is this is talking about a future event. Verses 14 through 18. It says, "For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or those who have died." That's what he's talking about. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet sound of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Paul is talking about the, what, what Paul is talking about here is commonly referred to as the rapture. And what, what rapture means, what it literally means is caught up. And there are a lot of things that happen in the end times or in the tribulation period. And, um, but the first thing that happens, the thing that sort of kicks off the beginning of the end is this event right here, the rapture of the church. Church meaning the global church, every person in the world that has a relationship with Jesus that has put their faith in Christ will be caught up and taken from this world and be together with Jesus in the air. I want you guys to, to turn, we're going we're gonna to go to another passage that talks about the rapture and we're going to kind of break that down as well. So if you guys want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to go through verses 50 through 55. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And he said, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or meaning we shall not all die, but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So this change is going to happen quickly. In a moment, we are going to be changed and taken up to meet the Lord in the air with those who have died before us. It's not going to be some super slow and dramatic change like in the Avengers when, when half the people are disappearing. They're like, oh, I feel something's happening. Oh, goodbye. I love you. That's not how it's going to happen at all. It's going to happen like that. You, you are gone. You, you are with the Lord in the air. Has anyone... Um, has anyone watched the movie Left Behind or read the book Left Behind? So it's a, it's a movie and it's a book about this, about the rapture. And, um, and, people, and so what happens is when the, rapture, when the rapture comes, everyone's like clothes are left, right? There's like an old lady sitting in the plane. She's like, can you get my husband out of the bathroom? His clothes are, he left his clothes right here. Um, anyways. Uh, and people get so caught up on, on things like that, like, oh, when we get caught up in the Lord, we're not going to need clothes. Uh, but one thing that, that, that Ed Heinsohn, he's, he's, a, he's a doctor and some wild theologian, really smart dude, at Liberty University, he brought up this, this really hilarious point, actually. He said, what about the artificial parts in people's bodies? Like, are those going to be left behind? Like, they're going to be, like, knees left behind and, like, fake teeth <laughs> left behind. And, um, and I was like, dude, that's a good point. But this is something that I was thinking about, and I, this doesn't really have to do with what we're talking about. It's just like I had this idea, and I just want people to know about this idea. Um, so it's like if we get taken up, let's say, for example, like I, let's say theoretically, I haven't done this, but let's say I give my kidney to somebody, and they're not a believer, and then I get taken. Is that kidney going to? I don't know, man. But anyways, <laughs> I don't know. God knows that. That was a rabbit trail, but bring it back. Um, God knows, and we all know, all that we know is that we are going to be changed in an instant and that we are going to be with the Lord forever. Going back to verse 52, for the trumpet will sound. And I believe that this is a literal trumpet that everyone, believers and non-believers, will hear. And the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed so when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that the dead in Christ 
will rise first. That's a really interesting passage. And, um, and a lot of biblical scholars and people believe, these people that have studied the Bible much longer than I have and, and, and understand Scripture in, in, a much, in a much deeper way than I do, uh, they, they believe that this means that the believers who have all died will somehow have their earthly body resurrected. And don't ask me how. I don't understand that. And just, I'm just being completely honest. Like, I don't, I don't fully comprehend what that means. And um, as a teacher, I'm going to tell you when I don't understand something. And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you what other biblical scholars and, and commentators believe based off of this scripture. And maybe as I grow in my knowledge and understanding of God, and, and as I spend more and more time and years in his word, I'll, be, I'll have a more concrete understanding of this. But right now, the vast majority of this passage for me is faith, is this is what the Bible says, and this is what, this is what it says is going to happen. And I know, like, like the prophecy, I, I trust in this book enough. I trust in God enough. I trust, I believe that this is God's word. And so when it says that, I, I believe it. Um, but who knows, maybe, maybe as, as I grow, I'll understand this a little better and I'll be able to communicate that. Um, but anyways, verse 53. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death. Where is your sting? This is the hope that we have as believers. This is why we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Hey everyone, Pastor JD here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the young adults ministry of Calvary Tucson. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 to 28, we want to invite you to join us in person. We meet every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. Come join us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Down away.